What's up, bikers? Episode 151 of the Biker Bar live stream podcast. <sighs> one of these days, I'm going to make one of those like fancy, like jingle kind of music things that plays so I don't have to say anything. And then um, that'll be great. It would be like I have arrived. You'll know that this, this podcast is really legit once that happens. But until then, what I would really enjoy is somebody out there to help support the channel. Somebody that listens all the time is like, you know what? I like this dude. I'd like to buy him a beer. Swing over there, Patreon, and give me a little, give me a, buy me a beer. That would be great. Um, I really appreciate that. It's honestly everybody over there on Patreon that really helps keep this going. I say this every week, but it's really, it really truly is the, it's the truth, man. So you guys make it happen. I really appreciate that. Those of you guys that just want to hang out, if you're watching on YouTube and you haven't subscribed yet, hit subscribe. If you uh, like what you see, do the thumbs up. You know, the social media is out there as well. Definitely can swing by Facebook or Instagram. One of these days, I'll get to the TikTok. And you know what? I made a couple of reels and shorts just recently, and I didn't even think about putting them on TikTok. I should have done that. Anyways, I really appreciate all you guys out there, regardless of which way you go about watching the content. If you, even if you're just the podcast guy, um, it doesn't matter. If you're, if you're really into this podcast, you know what you could do? You could swing by Apple Podcasts and you could write a five-star review. That would be rad. I haven't checked in a while. So somebody surprised me. I'm going to check before next episode and somebody surprised me that you'll write write me a good review that would be sweet then the podcast dump truck money will show up before the uh, youtube dump truck so anyways let's go ahead and get started we'll bring mr porter back on how's it going dude good how are you doing man i'm living the dream dude <clears throat> you know <laughs> same <laughs> right right you know, my wife asked me before you got on, where do you live? I forgot what state. I, I like named like five of them. <laughs> What'd you get? <have? laughs> I said like Idaho or Wyoming or something like that. Yeah. And then close. she was like, we're Utah. So we bordered both of them. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then I was, that was the third one. I did say maybe it was Utah because she, because she responded with, um, she's like, well, that's the same time zone as us. And I was like, oh, maybe it's Utah then. So. <laughs> Well, I was close, man. Yep, right yeah, on, we're, man. Yep. we're in the Park City area, so it's uh, melting out now. All the high stuff is still buried in seven feet of snow, and down yeah. here in town, we're uh, we're melted out. But the rivers and there's rivers where they didn't used to be rivers, and uh, yeah, tra through trails, and so it's it was a, it was our record breaking winter for us. Yeah, it's been insane out here in Northern California. Like, there's I saw a picture just the other day of some place that's like not too far from us and still has like. 25 feet of snow like where the roads like cut through oh yeah i'm sure uh i mean mammoth i think they said they're staying open as long as they can like into june july whatever they can make yeah. and up north of downeyville and the high sierra up there is uh it's got to be so deep right now yeah yeah you know i saw that downey downeyville had a um like a they called it an opening day party right at like like in the, like a couple of weeks, like a week or two. And I just don't, that's impossible. Like, cause I, I was in South Lake last weekend and just looking up at some of the stuff that I know is similar elevation. It's still like way under snow. So I think they're just doing it to like, try to get people out there or something like that. 
Yeah. But cool place uh, to hang out. Um, I haven't been there much, but I need to, it's on my list of, I got to go there a lot more like in, in that category of places where I've been, but I need way more time there. Yeah. In Downeyville or just through saying like, like I mean, that whole area. There's some pretty rad stuff up there. Um, I know um, I'm sure you're, you're familiar with like BKXC and, and his property over there, Everstoke. That is um, really in a good location. It's, it's dead in between Downeyville, Mills Peak and um, Mount Huff, which are all like super fun shuttles. Like, I mean, even if you were to do something like that with your family, like, I mean, I've seen they're, they're all pretty good riders. So have you, you've ridden Downeyville before, right? Yeah, but none of the classic stuff. So I went there with uh, Kurt Ginsheimer, the, the angry single speeder. And like uh-huh. uh, he's, he's been a part of that scene for a long time with building trails. And he's a writer, uh, journalist as well. Yeah. And so he took me on. He knows the type of trails I like. And I can't even remember which ones, but he took me on all the obscure stuff and um, yeah. big epic rides and unreal rides. Uh, we did. We even did a we did a gravel bike bikepacking trip from Verdi over by Reno over uh-huh. to, I think we finished in Nevada city. Oh, and, wow. Uh, we went over, I think it was, is it Hennis pass? I'm not sure what pass that is, but I, 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 I think I know what route you probably took. So just generally speaking, cause I know I had a buddy that um, wanted me to do something from basically Truckee down to Nevada city. So I would imagine to get from Reno to Truckee, think i know which way you went so yeah that's rad man it was awesome and we rode um we i remember we stopped into forest city which is uh um like a, a ghost town basically but there are cool new trails uh-huh. getting built into there and that was when they were i think it it's done or partially done now but that's when they were telling us all about the um how all these communities are getting connected by trails now which was oh yeah really cool to hear yeah that group from um what is it? It's Yuba. Trail stewardship, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're 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 like super active and getting all that stuff like put together. And they they used to be part of like the bike shop, or the bike shop was like kind of part of their group that was there in Downeyville. But now they're just in um in uh Quincy there by Mount Huff. But yeah, man, it's crazy like the the amount of work that they're doing to connect all those those places together. It's just really kind of insane. It's awesome. It's, it's a great way to bring people to these communities that used to be logging or mineral resources or whatever, things like that, and uh, give people a reason to go there and uh, spend money at businesses and keep them going. Yeah. It's always a catch 22 with the people that live there. You know, like some people that live in those places are like, they moved there because they didn't want to see anybody. And now they're like, what the hell? This place is all busy with all these people, you know? But then on the other hand, you're like, dude, you should be happy that you have a store that has like stuff in it now, you know, because if all these people weren't buying things that wouldn't be able to stay open, you know? Totally. I think that's the, that's the hardest balance for sure. I mean, we see it here in park city. When I moved here in 2005, I think it was, um, it was just starting to become like starting to become a bike destination, but it was mostly ski town. And so all summer, anyone that worked at ski resorts, they were on unemployment all summer. And I mean, I'm sure a lot of them loved that too. And that was a great part. Right. Of the program. Yeah. Um, right. 
but basically, you know, everyone was here to be ski bums and Main Street was dead. Hotels were dead. Restaurants would just close all summer and then open up again in the winter. And mm -hmm. through trail development, now Park City is, I mean, uh, you know, a lot of people would argue probably that it's too crowded. And, you know, Main Street and the town, they're not even, they don't want more events because there's basically events on Main Street every weekend of the summer with arts festival and bike stuff and mm -hmm. everything else. So I think, you know, maybe we almost went too far that way. And um, yeah, but, it's, but the good thing is, is. There's tons of companies here now. There's people here year round. So hotels are doing good. Businesses are doing good. Restaurants. And uh, it's attracted industry as well. So like backcountry mm -hmm. competitive cyclists are here and Rosignol and Skullcandy and all these big companies. So people that oh, wow. move here to be ski bums now have real jobs in the outdoor industry living here in Park City um, in the area. And yeah. so, you know, you always got to look at it from... The positive side of things because otherwise yeah. you're going to get bummed on everything but you know yeah, i know i hear you there dude i'm definitely all about the positive spin so yeah when you're sitting in traffic though it's hard to not uh reminisce about the old days of we used to be able to show up at 10 a.m on a powder day and have no problem parking and yeah things like that but uh you know th there's no balance in humanity i don't think really yeah right, it right. swings so far one way or the other and you know, they're solving it here with uh, dispersion. So putting, I work with Wasatch Trails Foundation uh, mm -hmm. over on the Wasatch County side. Um, so next county over in the other side of the mountain. And um, so, you know, the Trail Foundation in Park City, Mountain Trails Foundation, they're helping us uh, kind of mentoring us and sharing grants and things like that so that we can build more trails on this side and you know, people from over here don't have to drive over there and we can kind of spread the love more. So it's not yeah, all yeah. concentrated in one area. Yeah, totally, man. That That's awesome. Um, how'd you end up there? Uh, we moved to, okay. So just the super quick history grew up in Kentucky. And when I was 12, my parents took me skiing in Colorado and I realized that I, my life goal was moving to the mountains, like real yeah. big mountains and having winters and um, just, big mountains and yeah yeah so went to then went to college in kentucky and uh because i could afford it and then when i finally moved out i moved to durango colorado that's where things worked out for my bike career started traveling all the time at that point and durango is small little town in uh you know a long ways from a, a real airport and stuff so uh -huh. we uh we ended up moving to new jersey for a year because that's where aaron chase jeff lanoski kyle ebbett you know all these the whole East coast crew that were really my idols at first and then friends and mentors and people I was yeah. filming with, they all lived in that area. So we moved out there for years, easy to travel from. We lived at mountain Creek bike park, super fun. And yeah. then after a year of that though, we were like, okay, now it's time to get back to the mountains. And my wife's from Alaska. So she was, um, a, a year on the East coast in New Jersey was plenty for her as well. Yeah. Um, right. She's like, let's get to somewhere that's out of the way and small. She's yeah. probably one of those people that's all pissed off about Park City getting. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so we, were, we had a short list of like maybe the Reno area because it's got yeah. the airport there and you've got Tahoe. We looked at Northwest and Seattle. and But the first place that we flew out to to actually check out was Park City. And we signed a lease mm -hmm. before we left. Um, yeah. We had a weekend here and had a lease signed, a year lease on an apartment. And then... Yeah. Uh, it just had everything. It was, 
everything's everyone's discovered it at this point but um right. you know, it's a small little mountain town with great skiing tons of snow and uh it's 30 minutes 40 minutes from a huge city that all the bands come to mm-hmm. professional sports all the stores you could want costco and uh um, yeah. international airport like non-stop to you know tokyo over yeah, yeah, yeah so it's it's kind of like the best of everything so we can live uh-huh. in a kind of little mountain town and then also have the benefits of a big city yeah yeah totally i i can i can relate with that i mean i'm not in a mountain town but it's like sacramento is like a smaller town to like san francisco so you get all the like stuff that san francisco has and it's not too far away so but you're, you're definitely like way closer though is um like the snow sports like your favorite hobby and then like riding bike is your job or or do you look at them like the same level of of like enjoyment that you get out of them they're pretty close i actually my when i was in high school i dreamed to be in a pro snowboarder and trying to make that work out because i loved that more than anything and funny enough going to college in kentucky kind of kept me away from the snow more than i needed to be on snow and Uh but it did um put me in with the collegiate bike team so i started racing all the collegiate races and mm-hmm. i was already i loved mountain biking that was the first thing i did went to school i went to college because my parents were like you got to like look into clubs or things like that so you can yeah, yeah. and and the bike team was uh the first thing i found and um and that was was what i did all the time first job was at a bike shop and um everything so you're like close to the same age as me how, how old are you 43 43 okay yeah so like mountain biking then was pretty new by that point you know whenever you were you were doing that in college totally it was um it was an awesome time for it really yeah yeah so you know back to the original question i i love them both so much and one of them keeps the other one uh you know all all summer i'm loving being able to ride and all the stuff, but I'm thinking about, you know, snowboarding and skiing and snowmobiling yeah. in the winter. I fully immerse in that world for a little while. And while I'm still, you know, editing bike stuff, I shot from the year and doing some yeah. trips, but I, I really do like to just kind of check out a one and into the other and uh-huh. do what's the best at the time. And um, I used to do that a lot. I, I, that used to be the way that I kind of like flip flop between the two sports, but I think just being in Northern California, it's so easy to ride like fun stuff all year. So I think between that and just the cost of lift tickets now is just crazy. So yeah, I don't know. I, every time I go skiing, um, it like, it brings it back. You know what I mean? I get like, Oh dude, I should buy a pass. But I know, like, for me, I'm always chasing, like, this, this like, fitness. Ooh, I don't know what that was. <laughs> bug zapper? I don't know. I don't have a bug zapper. So, hang on a second. I'm going to make sure my fucking garage isn't burning down. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, pop a few, start a fire. Yeah. It almost sounds like the... Uh, like my compressor or something like that, like a little hose popped or something like that. Almost. Did you see some new tires today? It almost sounded like a bead finally popped on. 
Yeah, I can hear something though hissing like slightly. So if I see oh, a well. fire, I'll let you know. <laughs> Dude, if we see a fire, I'm gonna grab my bikes and then I'm gonna let this garage burn down because I'm like so I'd be stoked that this garage burned down. Then I could build a new one. It would only cost me my my uh deductible. Just <laughs> paid up, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um Anyways, what were we saying before that thing happened? Oh, just talking about bikes and snowboarding and skiing. Oh, yeah, I, that's what it was. Man, I ride so much all summer and, uh -huh. I'm, you know, so deep in, in that world. And I, I love it more than anything as well. But I'm totally ready once the snow comes and I push it to the end. I keep riding and some of my favorite rides are the, I mean, fall is my favorite season for riding for multiple reasons. So first of all, it's coming to an end and it's going to, especially where we're at, we're going to get snow and the trails will get shut down. So there's that, you know, time factor where you're like, okay, this is it. This might be the last ride of the year on this trail, yeah. whatever it is. So let's make it a good one. And you start kind of packing them in where you're like, let's go ride this one before it snows. And yeah. Then the yeah, storm definitely and, and you're like, okay, let's get it this morning. So they're only like two inches on the trail and then you can slash around and um, right. Right. I am. Um, I definitely go through that exact same thing here with basically all of our high altitude stuff. Cause it's like, you only have so many weekends to get up into the, like the real, like out there kind of trails. So once that, you know, that snow is coming and sometimes it's early in October, sometimes you get lucky and it's like November, you know? So we're definitely doing the same thing in Tahoe. It's like, Oh, this might be it. And I yeah. think the thing that I like about it though, the most, is then come spring you get to see like how much you've like progressed you know yeah. like like you'll be like holy crap man my like strava time is like 30 seconds faster or man i climbed that hill oh that's what i was saying before that noise happened is I, i'm always trying to uh like i think this is part of the reason why i end up riding all, all winter instead of of getting in more of the snow stuff is that I'm always like kind of chasing like this level of fitness. And I'm like, I know if I don't ride X amount of days, then I'm going to lose that. You know what I mean? And, and um, I think that's the thing where it's like, I need to go out and put in like 4,000 feet this, you know, on a ride this weekend, or I'm not going to be able to do 4,000 feet anymore. You know what I mean? So that's a real thing. I mean, yeah. I kind of feel the opposite to where I, uh, I feel like I, spring is a relearning time to where, mm -hmm. and I, I have the desert, I can go ride and I do go down to Moab or St. George or whatever and mm -hmm. ride sometimes, but not as much. And for some reason, it doesn't matter how much I go split boarding and do it. I go running in the winter and do things to try and mm -hmm. keep my cardio up for whatever reason, spinning pedals on a bike, you just feel I feel like garbage in the spring and yeah. I feel like I'm just chasing fitness until like, you know, June or July. And then, then I feel like I'm in a place where I like to be. And yeah. And then by the time fall rolls around, the skills and the fitness are kind of at their high point. Yeah. So that's like, it, it all times up for the, you know, your skills are on point because you've been riding every day and your fitness is on point. And then you get some moisture back in the dirt and leaves are falling and yeah it's so yeah. fun like i would outside of the you know i would skip spring and summer riding for fall riding because that's yeah like i don't care about the the long summer days or any of that stuff the fall riding it's the best 
but yeah, I think here in Northern California, it's like spring and fall because that, that those are the two times a year where it, where the ground's wet, you know. So like those are definitely like they're really good windows. So and uh, I mean Tahoe gets really sandy, so especially like right now, like right whenever the snow is melting. I, like I was in South Lake last weekend and that like sandy DG kind of soil that they have there. I swear it's like a two or three week window where it's like perfect. Like yeah. it, like it just pushes in like concrete, you know? And then after that, it turns into a sandbox. Right. <laughs> and it's like, that's fun too. You just have to, you have to ride it a lot differently. Right. You know, you, I, I don't know if you guys have something similar there, but it's kind of like you almost like, like ski your front tire through stuff. You don't like, weight it the same that you would when you know it's like a pack berm you know yeah it's it's totally different here i know the dirt you're talking about and mammoth has that too right with the dg the decomposed yeah. um yeah yeah for what what it does here is it snows and melts off and then it goes like like this spring it's there's been it's dusty till you hit the snow line which mm -hmm. we're like what happened to the <laughs> we've actually been getting some rain now so you know we got some tonight the dirt will be great tomorrow and it dries up pretty quick here and then if it doesn't rain for a while it just turns to dust so it just yeah. starts to like get like the, uh... the actually it's crazy it's not really water so much that exposes all the rocks on our trail it's when it's dry and dusty the dirt just kind of evaporates and blows away almost as it gets yeah. ridden but it stays it don't, there's almost nowhere that I can think of. There's one specific spot that's a little kind of a sand spot, but all the trails here, they don't get um, to where your front wheel pushes in like that. It's just hard pack dirt that you can yeah. hook up on with, you know, the right tires, but it, it's just dust and you just come back and your face is brown and like <laughs> your glasses. So you... <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. That's, um, it's interesting, man. I've been editing this video in that I, I was riding in Pennsylvania and, it, it was really just like making me think about how insanely different like it is from place to place to ride in just like the, the soil and stuff like that. You know, it's just, um, I, I, on that particular trip, I think I went in with a level of confidence that, that was, that I shouldn't have. And, um, and I was like, you know, Oh, we do like, you know, 6,000 feet of descent in, in California. I'm going to this place. It's like the highest altitude in the whole state's 3,000 feet. I'm going to be fine. You know, we do gnarly stuff in the mountains, you know, like, and, uh, and then I go there and I just get my ass handed to me. And, and, uh, um, it's interesting, you know, like how different places can be. Oh yeah. And Sedona too, that place yeah. is so physical. You go down there and it's the spring. So like I said, I haven't been riding as much. Yeah. But every time you go to Sedona, I feel like I'm just getting, it's like you almost got in a fight or something. Like it's just physical <laughs> riding, you know, you have to move up and over all this stuff. And it's totally different than St. George desert riding. And it's not just, it's the trail building, but it's also the rocks and the dirt. How yeah. And then East coast, it's almost like you got to cut your miles in half. Like if you're like, oh yeah, 20 mile Tahoe ride, no problem. You go to Pennsylvania, yeah. that's a 10 mile ride as far yeah. as your level and well I, and even the trails are just like at least the stuff that i was riding at that particular place like the um the trail speed on those trails 
was like if you were going a little if you were going between 10 and 15 miles an hour you were lucky you, you know what i mean like yeah like i did this climb that was probably like a 20 minute climb and in my head like i was thinking like norcal okay i'm gonna jump on this trail and i'm gonna be back down in my car in like five minutes i'm gonna do laps you know and then it took me like 45 minutes to get down the hill. You, yeah. you know what I mean? And I was like, oh my God, this is like so much like tech and like, just like, like almost you're like, like you're doing a trials ride through this like rock gardens and stuff. And you're like, man, this is so different than like how we ride out here, you know? Yeah. I mean, that was where technical riding started really that you know, Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania, and some of those trails around mm -hmm. there. And um, there's a whole crew of riders um, with EWS, um, Jay DeJesus, and Chris Van Dyne, who was a pro E-Road Rampage for a while. His dad, Galen, he would, um, you remember, did you ever hear the old Canada bike, the Beast of the East? It sounds familiar. So that was a bike that came out of there. And they, they were, you know, making bikes around this even that could ride this, you know, rocky technical stuff because there weren't purpose-built trails like there are now we were just all riding i, I wasn't there but yeah. you know even in kentucky yeah. it was everything we were riding in you know i guess it would have been i started riding early 90s mm -hmm. um, so i was 12 probably yeah. um actually riding mountain bike trails and it was hiking trails there were no yeah. there's no such thing as a mountain bike trail yeah no it was all there was no such thing as an illegal mountain bike trail because we were all riding every hiking trail basically totally and nobody you know nobody knew how to manage it or what it was what was going on or whatever but um and you know i think part of like it had a high filter you had to i don't know what it was but you had to want to mountain bike then because it wasn't yeah. easy and yeah. you really i don't know you had to you had to have kind of someone show you the ropes too mm -hmm. it wasn't something you were just could easily go out and do on your own. You know, there's so much to learn and um, it's, it's so yeah. much easier to get into the sport now, which is. Yeah. I mean, in the early nineties, we were riding like fully rigid bikes on yeah. this like super technical <laughs> rocky stuff with no dropper. And uh, yeah, it was definitely interesting. So I, I had a conversation with a friend not too long ago where it was like, I'm pretty sure that's why I like that like slow tech kind of stuff. And I'm, I'm pretty good at it is like, those were the skills that I built initially. You, you know what I mean? So it's like, to me, whenever I would think of going mountain biking, that's what we would do is like go to some rock garden that looked like it, you couldn't ride through it and be like, wow, we made it through that, you know? Yeah. And um, I got a buddy, he's from um, Minnesota and, and, to him, he's like, man, I like that fast, flowy trails. And and I'm like, well, yeah, because that's what you guys had there. You know, <laughs> like you didn't have tech, you know. So, right. so uh, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, so, totally. I think, um, have you had, um, my, have, do you know Aaron Lutzi, super rider? No, no, I don't, no. You should have him on. He's awesome. Um, so he has, uh, I met him years ago riding trials and he grew up in wisconsin and he was actually a pro trials rider with jeff lanoski like in the oh, right on. um he's done a ton of stuff since then but he has uh he started super rider youtube channel because he wanted to make trials videos on youtube and uh -huh. uh, so anyway he's uh trying to i don't know like i feel like it's kind of a lost art right now where 
everyone's gone so far in the flow trail thing that mm -hmm. uh, there's so many new riders that don't understand or know technical skills. And yeah. I think it's, I mean, it was awesome. I, I loved riding trials growing up and that was a huge, you almost had to, right? To like, to some extent, learn how to track stand and hop and like balance and ride over things to be able to ride these trails. Yeah. And then just like really teaches you really good, like brake control and like body placement. And um, yeah, it, it, it definitely helps. I mean, it's not like it, it, I don't know. Could, would, do you think that, that those skills from that crosses over to like high speed stuff too, or do you think it's just like a different skill set? I mean, it's kind of a different skill set, but it's the foundation for everything. I think yeah. I'm so happy yeah. that, I rode trials because, and it was something like half the time it was riding trials in the streets, like on ledges and stairs and on college yeah. campus and that sort of thing. Um, and I did do some, I did a handful of trials competitions where you're actually, um, you know, they, it's like a, you know, climbing contest or something basically where you like, they build like an obstacle course and you have to ride your bike through it with the least amount of dabs, they call it, where you put your foot down. Um, yeah, yeah. But it's, uh, you know, it's, it's totally what, you know, Lenoski's doing on with trail boss and riding these technical sections of trails. And I still think those skills, even though they're slow speed skills, they're balance skills and they're bike handling skills. So you have yeah. such an intimate understanding of what everything does on your bike. And mm -hmm. it's not going to, um, you still got to go fast to learn how to go fast, but it's the best kind of foundation for balance and bike control for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. I was yeah, watching that. Um, like you can just screw around in your driveway. And, yeah. you know, sometimes you don't have time to go for a ride, but you want to ride your bike. And so you can make a little course with some logs and stuff around in your yard or driveway. And um, I used to do it all the time. I used to, I learned how to track stand in my dorm room, like in between the beds, because <laughs> something I could do when I was there. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I bought this dirt jumper because that was my plan was like to work on like skills, like outside, right outside of my house. And then I didn't ride it for like a year. <laughs> yeah. It that's, was like, I mean, I, I push that all the time, like get a dirt jump bike and just mess around on it because yeah, Jan learned so many skills and you know, all these people got manual built manual trainers during the pandemic. And um, like, you know, you got like a sidewalk, right. And a street, right. right? Yeah. back break like that's just start messing around with it because um it's it, it teaches like i don't know i i feel like uh it doesn't teach you the most important skills it just makes sure that you don't fall over backwards yeah if you're gonna yeah. learn manuals, you got to learn how to fall over backwards anyway and take a foot off or how to use your brake and so, yeah you know i kind of feel like i don't know how much those are i'd love to hear i'd love to see like a you know study on it yeah. Everybody that built a manual trainer and trained on one, how much of an impact did it actually have? And can you manual now? You know? Yeah. I was watching, uh, it's funny you mentioned this. I was watching uh, a Yuka video earlier today where she had built one of those. And um, it seemed like she like had it down in her garage on the, the manual thing. And then when she went outside, it was like no skills. So like, it seems to me like, like what you're saying is accurate. Like, it, I think it comes down to everyone wants a hack or a shortcut or yeah. like, what's the inside line? What's the quick way to do it? Yeah. I think 
manuals and same thing with like whips and tabletops there's i'm pretty sure there's no shortcut it just takes reps like you just and you know that's great if like you're still on your bike and you're having fun you're building something and you're playing around on it and yeah makes you more comfortable sitting in that position great like i'm all for people having a good time and trying stuff but i just uh i think the message i (laughs) i want to get across i almost made a video on it at some point and maybe i'll mention it in a video at some point but um, like that's not going to teach you to manual. I'm pretty sure Yeah, like, you, you got to take the steps and, you know, we should get it- together and you can teach me how to manual. It's one of those things that I want to do, but I don't want to put any time into trying. <laughs> it's one of those things like I can manual, um, like just about it, like pretty good. It's one of my strong skills that I feel really yeah. happy with and I love doing all the time, but yeah. I do it every ride too. I still have to practice and maintain yeah. that skill. It's uh it's yeah. something it's it's uh it's a really finite balance point with a lot of minute adjustments to keep it up. And yeah, um, you know, it it takes a lot of time to do. That's the that's what nobody wants to hear. Same thing with even yeah. being a bike. Everyone wants like, how can I learn how to jump a bike better tomorrow? You're like, well, yeah. start the process tomorrow, but right, like this summer you're gonna get to like this far and then next summer to this far and like yeah to hit dirt jumps like what's in my yard that just takes years unfortunately for <laughs> yeah um it's it's some there's some skills like that that really just take a lot of time and practice and that's why when you look at the world there's not that many people that can manual a bike or dirt jump big dirt jumps or get like a real whip on a bike like that's not a strong skill of mine because i was doing tricks and i was doing tabletops and other stuff and i never put the time in on whips so like i don't have a strong you know whip like you're you see in the whip off world championships yeah 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 um yeah i am i i think like i don't know what the trick was called like when we would jump bmx you kind of like lay your bike over and then you you like put it back up straight again you know yeah tabletop tabletop okay so like to me like a whip is just like an exaggerated tabletop then right well the whip would be when it goes sideways so when you like lean off the lip and the whole back end of the bike goes sideways and Uh and then it comes back and it's all in this kind of fluid motion over and back whereas Uh the table you're actually like turning your whole body when you're doing it and like kind of like throwing the bike that way. it's not like you're moving the bike that way with your feet yeah, that's a kick out. And yeah, okay, yeah, kickouts yeah. feel cool. And you'll see it and hear it all the time. Like, oh, I did a sick whip on that. And most of the time it's it's a kick out. And that's yeah. great. You're having fun on your bike. Um, but they're different. It's it's different when you get down to the, you know, what is this trick called? And you know, yeah, yeah. Top, you, you lift the bike up sideways with your legs. And yeah. so if your legs are coming up, your arms are going all the way over. Like when you're doing it right, you don't have your feet are floating off the pedals. Your hands are rotated around your grips, not on your brakes at all. And cause that's what it takes to actually get the bike sideways. And that takes, right. I'm still working on those and I, I can get them like I'm happy with them. I love them. It's one of my favorite things to do, but I'm like, it's one of those tricks you're never going to be satisfied with it. Yeah. You know? And uh, there, I mean, there's a few people that I could point out. Um, there's actually an Instagram tape Lords. Uh-huh. Uh, that's just all the sickest tables on BMX. <laughs> um, and then whips. Yeah. It's, 
it's a whole thing where you're going into the lip and you're leaning over sideways and you're kind of carving off the lip and it's a whole motion like on a dirt bike they have the throttle so they do the same thing and then when they crack the throttle they can use the gyros to help bring it back and it's right it's a whole motion same thing with you'll see it on downhill bikes and dirt jump mm-hmm. bikes where it's a whole like whip and you're kind of turning sideways and then you're turning back and it's a difficult thing to do it's not something you can be like i'm just going to go do one now because you'll mm-hmm. do one and then you'll land 90 because it just takes years to get the motion of figuring out how to get it over and how to get it back. Yeah. Uh, now kick yeah, out off a jump. Landing, landing sideways in the nineties, not, not a good day. I would imagine. <laughs> not, you know, there's, there's ways you can do it with like, as long as you get your front wheel straight, a lot of times yeah. you can stuff out. If you're, <laughs> you can also slap the ground really hard. So and that's where like, yeah. you know, when you start jumping and doing stuff and you're riding the bike park and you get your bike out to the side, you're doing a kick out to the side and it feels yeah. cool and, it, and it looks cool. You're not straight and that sort of thing, but it's a different, different mechanics than a whip. Yeah. If, um, that's kind of the, maybe a better way to put it. So. Yeah. 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 I, I was just trying to like, think of how, how you do it. And like, to me, it seemed like it would be like a little bit of a natural progression from like a tabletop to a kick out to a, to a whip. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, but yeah, you still got to put a bunch of time into it. Yeah, and you can, I mean, people will combo kind of whip and tabling a bit with it, and people get all folded up in their bikes, and it's pretty easy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I would I would categorize tables and whips in different categories because of the way that you take off. But you can uh-huh. kind of, you can table and whip a little bit, you can, you can blend them a little bit, but they're kind of different mechanics to make them happen. Um, yeah, yeah. And same thing with like, if someone wants to manual, I'd say the first step would be learning how to wheelie. So, you know, learning how to pop it up while you're sitting down, use your brake to, you know, keep from looping out and using your pedals to bring it up and brake to bring it down. And then you can start finding those balance points. And then the manual is the next step beyond that to where you're, you're standing up, you're not using your seat. So you have one less contact point to kind of help mm-hmm. keep this together and your body's in a different position and, the real, you know, a lot of people, especially mountain biking, because we have really strong, trustworthy brakes, will really rely on their brakes to kind of get that. You're still balancing side to side, but they're kind of using the brake to mm-hmm. keep the front end balanced. So you're basically the, a lot of time what I see is people will be manually too far back, but they're using their brake and modulating their brake to actually keep the front end up. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of moving their body around as much. And I was lucky to, I didn't grow up riding BMX since I was a kid, but when I was started college, I got a BMX and started street riding every night in Louisville. Mm-hmm. Kentucky. There's a big BMX scene. And yeah, I learned how to, um, I rode brakeless BMX for a summer, um, which brakeless BMX is back now. And a lot of people are doing that, but that was where yeah, we just rode with no brakes because we didn't, we want our bikes to be lighter. Yeah, Man. I didn't. I it didn't was, know it was like a trend. We just did it because we were like trying to make our bikes light, or we like didn't have money for pads, or you know, what I mean, it was like totally. That's and just what me, we did. Like, brakes kind of sucked anyway. Um, yeah, BMXs, and then it was for me. It was a two part thing. Um, like you run, I ran brakes, and then at some point something broke on them, and I said. I'm just going to take them off, still going riding. And yeah. a bunch of people were riding brakeless. And the, the things that it teaches you, which I just 
committed to was um, you don't have a brake to tap if you're looping out on manual. So you get yeah. really good at keeping that bike balanced with your body positioning and your arms yeah, and, yeah. and your hips and everything. And if you loop out, like you got to spit that bike out and land on your feet or you're going to crash. Yeah. So it teaches you, like I learned those skills really, really well. And then for grind, we were street riding. So grinding ledges and grinding rails and things like that, it removed your ability to, uh, <laughs> to not commit to something. So you, yeah, I mean, you do a couple run-ups and assess like what you thought the speed was and the line and yeah. that sort of thing. And then you're doing it. And so it, yeah. it gave you, it took away your option to, uh, to pull the plug and do a whole bunch of run-ups, you know? <laughs> yeah. I never really thought about it that way. Yeah. yeah. It's the same, like people dirt jump brakeless now, which is crazy to me, but, um, you know, your only option really is to send it off to the side into the woods. Or if you're going, if you're not going to, you know, if you're going to case, you just ditch the bike and run down the landing, which you get good at that too. But uh, yeah. anyway, yeah, I, I embraced it for that summer because it, you know, helped me learn those skills, kind of like forced progression almost, you know? Mm -hmm. So you have, you know, all those dirt jumps in your backyard, obviously your kids are on the channel, like doing, doing those jumps. How did you like walk them through, the training process like obviously you didn't have them like doing the gaps right out the gate right <laughs> yeah. you were just like shoving them off the porch and being like oh you, you should have enough speed by the time you get down there man i i held him back is the real answer is i <laughs> um that was almost like the carrot at the end of the stick you know was right. um you know because we didn't build um so one of my first not first i was i was a few in by then i'd been doing it for like a year at that point on youtube but um building milo's line was the first time we had a medium line so when i built the yard i built the pump track and uh because milo was two years old at the time uh, i built the pump track and then i built my jump line which are you know six to seven foot tall lips and 16 to 18 foot gaps and tall and steep and I wanted them to be intimidating. And so people would like when friends would show up, they would either be 100% confident and they'd be chill jumps. Cause they are, if you're a good rider mm -hmm. or you'd say, uh, no, I'm good. No, I don't want to try it. <laughs> I didn't want that middle ground where I'd have friends showing up and be like, Oh, I think I can hit this. I hit some tabletops like this. And yeah. Yeah. I, then, then it's on me to assess. And cause I just don't want a bunch of people coming over and getting hurt. And right. Right. So, um, yeah, so the kids grew up, you know, balance bike on the pump track and then pedal bike on the pump track. And then the pump track, we kind of made the one of the lines, one of the straightaways into more jumps. And so then they could start jumping there. And and then they had they to be able to hit those jumps, they had to have a certain set of skills because the first jumps are right out of a corner. So you got to be able to corner and there's no room to pedal. So you can't just pedal into a jump. So. Mm -hmm. I intentionally kind of thought out all these things to where to hit before you can hit these jumps, you have to be able to pump because pumping is the fundamentals of using a lip and jumping. You have to be able yeah. to corner and pump the corner even. And then we went to, you know, public parks that have tabletops and spent a bunch of time on those. And uh, then we built, it was like the kids trick jump. So you know, mine is a big, tall step up and huge lip and all this stuff. And right next to it, we built one that was like waist tall and like a three foot gap. 
And so that was the kids first double that they could start hitting. And so it was super mellow, worked really well. So and you wanted to see them like hitting all these tables and like landing them every time until you threw a dap in. Totally. Yeah. So what was, what was like the, like, did you feel like you had to like coach them through? Cause I think this is something that, you know, a lot of adults struggle with as well is like you put a gap there and then all of a sudden it's like, no, like, like they could hit the table. That's like 10 feet long, but you put like a six foot t- like gap and then they're like, uh, uh-uh. you, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, so totally. like, how did you talk them through like the, the gap whenever you, they first started that? I mean, I remember feeling like that when I was learning how to jump because I learned how to jump at until I went to college. So when I was 18 years old was the first time I started hitting jumps. I was full, you know, cross country up to that point and yeah, hitting stuff on trails, but there weren't jump trails then. And yeah. so I remember that feeling of, you know, starting to learn how to jump at a BMX track and the tabletops, fine, you could work up to it. And then the ones that were just straight doubles, like there was one jump at our track called the tower doubles and there were the big doubles by the announcing tower and they were terrifying. And, and so the, the way that I've kind of related that to them and to other people is spend so much time on tables that it doesn't, you start to just have that feeling of, Oh, it doesn't matter if there's something in the middle and yeah. hit a bunch of different jumps. So you've like hit tabletops with lips that are like this lips that are like this and everything in between. So you have the confidence to go there and say, and just, you kind of cancel that out of your head. So you think about like, okay, what are like the, the risk kind of the risk management talk I give to the kids are like, okay, this is scary. Okay. What can mm-hmm. happen? What are the bad things that can happen? Right. So you're like, okay, I could come up short. That's a problem. Right. And uh, so what do we do to avoid that? We follow someone in that's going the right speed, maybe even go a hair fast the first time. What happens if we go too long? Oh, it's not that big of a deal as long as your bike is level. Okay, let's make sure that we're comfortable hitting jumps and staying level off of the lip. So pulling up in a way that we stay level. And that way we don't go, if we do go deep, which is the safer way usually on a double for the first time that we're at least level. So we can land, you know, not like this. And right. nose diving, right, yeah. Totally. And so we, we talk about all the things that they're scared of and then what we can do to prevent them. And then we just shut off that part of the brain. That's all done. We've handled that. We figured out um, what bad things can happen, how to prevent that. And so now we know the steps that we can take. So, okay, what do we think about? So now it's time to hit the jump. We don't think about all the bad things anymore. We think about this is what I need to do to successfully pull this off. And then we, do that and we commit yeah. to it that you know so it's because like uh like you said if if you'd hit it if the table is there then there's no difference you're doing yeah. the same thing either way the only difference is that you can't ease up to it you can't you know hit it at half speed and land at the top and roll down and start to feel out the lip so yeah, yeah. at that point then you're just following someone that you trust yeah um you know they're yeah gonna- that's definitely a, a thing there i mean i, I i'm not much of a jumper like i I was when I was in high school because I I had rubber bones and didn't care, you know what I mean? But as an adult, I have definitely like shied away from that stuff just because I got hurt like a few years back and that really like, it stopped me wanting to like push things that way. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, I have a buddy that jumps a lot though. And, and 
like he towed me into some stuff that we were just having a good day. And I mean, I was following his speed and I'm like, dude, I hit like, I hit some, some tables that were like 15 feet long or something like, you know what I mean? Like I never cleared those before, you know what I mean? And it was like, we hit everything on the whole, whole jump line. And I just remember being like blown away. But when I tried it like a week later by myself, I didn't know the speed. Right. So I was just like, cased them all again so like having somebody like you said that you trust for sure man it's like and what was the other difference right like you're feeling good so you had confidence right yeah yeah and you're like i'm gonna follow him i'm feeling good it's gonna work out and when you you know honestly yeah that day i don't even feel like i was like i just was i think i was so like focused on just keeping up with him like that i wasn't like Cause I wasn't worried about the jumps. Like I'm never really worried about like the lip, like bucking me or something like that. Like I know how to jump that way. It's just like, I don't know the right speed to like make it land. You know what I mean? So I'll yeah. be coming up and I'll be like, Oh, I'm going too fast. And then I hit the brakes and I'm like, Nope, cased it. You know, like so, yeah. so like with him that day, I was just like, really like we were just chasing each other all day long. So when we got to that point, I was just trying to keep him like the same distance and I think because of that, then he was like, he was setting the speed for me. So it was just like, boom, boom, boom. And I, man, I was so stoked. It was like, holy shit, dude, I've never done that. That was sick. That's awesome. So, yeah. Yeah. It was super fun. Yeah. I mean, it's something I, all of my jump videos with the kids where I'm taking them down different stuff. I include, I cut out a bunch of stuff where I'm like kind of saying it over and over to them to make sure that they are confident. But yeah. I always include that to where I'm like, are you confident? Do you feel ready to hit these? And, you know, uh, are you psyched to do this? Are you excited or are you more scared and nervous? Cause if you're scared and nervous, let's just wait another day. And so I, I, it's kind of the opposite of everything else on mountain bike YouTube, you know, and just general population, which is the, the full send it mindset, you know, of, uh, Oh, you got this bro, go hit it. And uh, I'm like, (laughs) Or tomorrow, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. no way can you do it today. So, um, I think playing the long game is is the the big move there. And just like yeah. I said, you know, you figure out like what all the bad stuff is, forget about it, and then like answer those questions. So mm-hmm. if you just were like show up and you're just confident, that's more like arrogance, right? But if you're like, if you think it through, answer all those questions, and then you come up with a plan for here's how I'm going to do this successfully then you can hit it with confidence because you're like, this is my plan and this is what yeah. I'm going to do. And so that's really like the last thing I'm like, all right, Milo, Owen, you confident? Are you, you feel good about this? And they're like, yeah, for sure. Then I'm like, yeah. all right, let's do this, follow me and yeah. just commit to it. And, uh, but yeah, I held like Owen was begging me, um, you know, with Milo, we built it. So we kind of hit him one at a time as we were building him, and he worked yeah. his way through the line. Owen watched the whole thing because he's two and a half years younger. And then right. all that summer, he's like, I want to hit him. I'm ready. And we'd go somewhere and I'd be like, I don't think you're quite ready yet. Like you're shredding. You're a really good rider. But like there's no reason to rush into these because they're steep. They're consequential. Yeah. They're, you know, there's a whole like there's no reason to get hurt on these when you can spend more time and develop those skills. And then when you do hit them, it'll work yeah. out. Great. And it did. So. And- and as a father to like, or a parent for that matter, to like watch your kid get hurt is like, it's like the worst feeling, you know? 
It's the last <laughs> thing I want. And right, right. Then when you're hurt, you can't ride. And you know, Milo's been he broke his elbow when he was nine, I think. Um, mm. went over the bars on a small jump that he had built himself. Um, it's I never really shared it or like the but I have a video of it and everything. And it, um he basically built his own lip and wanted to hit it. <laughs> uh-huh. It just like I think back of like, I wish I could have changed that. Um, but he wanted to do it himself and I wanted to respect that and let him yeah. learn. And I just didn't think he was going to hit it the way that he did. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it sucked because, you know, he had time off the bike and, but, mm-hmm. you know, again, looking at the positives of it, he was probably a pretty damn good life lesson. <laughs> so, he was so confident at the time we were going to the bike park and he was shredding, but like, to like almost recklessly to where he, yeah. his mind having never been injured, he's yeah. like, I can do anything. And yeah, you know, partly that's, you know, for good or bad, my fault, because I was, um, I was choosing like gatekeeping him. Yeah. Yeah. Confidence because that's important to build confidence, but he hadn't yeah. had to set it back. And um, I was like, you know, it, it's just going to happen with riding. You're going to, you have these, you know, you grow and progress and then you have a crash and get hurt and knocks yeah. your minutes back and then you build back and then you go higher and you're kind of like in this building growth chart with your riding yeah. and versus your confidence, your skills versus confidence, you know? Yeah. 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 Your skills, confidence matrix. That's what it totally. is. Right? <laughs> I think it was good yeah. because he's, he is um, super dialed and confident. And when he tells me he's ready for something and he can hit something, at 13 years old now, I totally trust him that he's yeah. thought about it. He knows very well the consequences because he's yeah. got a couple of broken bones now. And he's, um, you know, he, he knows that they're real. And so yeah. he, he also knows how to take the steps and put in the time to learn the skills, yeah. to do the things he wants to do. But yeah, it sucks. It's the worst seeing your kid hurt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it's just like you can't take the pain away for him and especially if it's something that you had any part to do with you're just like oh man yeah i mean they've grown up in it and it goes from when they're on the push bike you're scared of them falling and scraping a knee or hitting their face on something and then you know their skills get better and you're less worried about them in some ways but then you're more worried about them in other ways and um and as they get faster and stronger and they're hitting bigger stuff the stakes are higher you know that yeah sequential with bigger stuff and i mean even last year at you know we went to the burn park opening and i can't there's a clickbait trail anyway the um the big jump trail it's got a mm-hmm. pretty good size drop at the beginning and um i was filming something with seth and the boys are i'm like i'm like just keep warming up and we'll figure it out and then we'll you know we'll go work through this stuff together and like two hours later owen's like I'm like, you want to go work through that drop now, Owen? And he's like, oh, I got it. I've been hitting it for 45 minutes. <laughs> so they're kind of left to their own devices. They'll go, you know, he'll yeah. fall, throw off of stuff. And um, they're kids, man. You know what I mean? Like we were there. You know, so. like I'm now learning to have control, like where I find, where I feel like it's really important and yeah. something that they really need to know. And then also giving them the freedom to ride to their level and to learn stuff with their friends. And um, yeah. Yeah. So it's cause you know, we're letting them, you know, ride our local trails a bit 
just the kids now. And it's scary because I know that what they're doing and they're going to hit jumps and they're going to do this stuff. But that's what yeah. we were doing at that age too. And they've got, my parents didn't ride. And so like they've, I didn't know, I, like we, we were learning it all on our own. I know that at this point at um, 11 and 13 years old, I've told them everything that I can tell them just about, yeah. you know? And so they're at least fundamentally in a really good place to go learn stuff yeah. on your own. Yeah. You have to be able to go out there and learn that, that stuff though. Like there's a bunch of like, like um, life lessons of, of being out on your own that those situations like really teach you that you have to go through. Like, like you have to know how to like, pull your shit together and get yourself home when you get hurt. You, you know what I mean? Like you'll oh, yeah. know, like when your buddy knocks his wind, the wind out of him, that he's not actually dying. And you're like, dude, <laughs> it sucks right now, but you're going to be able to breathe in a minute, you know, like, like, and you got to kind of go like, like through those things, you know? And um, I think that giving kids the opportunity to make mistakes, like, is at least one thing that we got like in spades in the 80s you know what I mean? yeah. <laughs> like and i don't know if that was like maybe that was the pendulum was a little too far then or something like that but like we definitely i i think it, it's something that you see a lot of, of of children don't have nowadays you know yeah absolutely it's that's like having them like i mean that when you asked why we live here um yeah. one of the biggest like number one things was being able to ride from our house yeah. on trails and um the fact that i can let them just say okay see you in a few hours have fun is yeah one of the i mean i feel so lucky to be able to do that um yeah a lot of people can't and I'm, it's cool seeing a lot more trails being built in urban centers and around places but you're totally right it's um you know now that milo's 13 learning how to parent differently from when they're smaller you're kind of just like don't do this and <laughs> you're trying to keep them from dying and now once you get more freedom it is kind of a different mindset of okay it's it's okay to make mistakes and yeah. you know when there's really dangerous things you know like i hate when they're riding on the road to get places <clears throat> yeah Even kind of in the country on smaller roads it still terrifies me but yeah um especially nowadays with you know teenagers with cell phones or adults with cell phones for that matter you know like yeah. It's just really easy for, for that, like things to go wrong there. Yeah. yeah, so, you want to, yeah letting them have those, letting them make mistakes, learn from it. And yeah. that's, that's what I've been like all this week. I've been saying, Hey, you, you, whatever it was like doing stuff around the house, dumb stuff. Like their, their brain isn't developed. They, yeah. teenagers, I was talking to our, our middle school counselor at our school and she was like, they're, they're the, that part of their brain that, um, gives you reasoning and whatever it's just not developed yet and so when a 13 year old yeah. boy says i don't know why i did that that's a valid answer they just they yeah. don't know why <laughs> you and i still do that sometimes you know like yeah. i don't know why i did that that was dumb because right <laughs> it was cool because right. Right. yeah 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 definitely and it's, so they're um... going out and they'll like you know him and his two best friends and they'll go ride for three hours and they'll get a flat tire and they'll fix it. And then someone else will have this problem. And, um, like I love hearing those stories when they're come back and like this broke and this, we, he had a flat and then we had to use three plugs and yeah, you know, yeah. things together. I'm like, that is the best, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, it's just um, it's it's good stuff. It's good stuff for them to learn. I mean, even as a kid, for me, like I grew up in Pennsylvania, so it would be like you'd go out and like walk around the woods and freaking get in trouble that way. You know what I mean? Like God knows what you were looking for, what you were doing. But what that taught me was like, I can navigate through like situations like really well, you know, like when I was in the military, we would have these, like, we would do these like uh night nav kind of like exercises to make sure that everybody had their shit together. Right. So they would like, plop everybody out in the middle of the woods at like nine o'clock at night. And then they give you all these points that you got to go to and you'd have, you know, you'd have to get there. And dude, I'd be back in the barracks and drinking by like two hours. You, you know what I mean? And, and there would be other guys that would like be showing up when the sun rose the next day, you know, like they were out there all night, you know? And, and it was like, I mean, granted, I wasn't running around the woods in, in the dark, but it, it just like, that time out, you know, as a kid growing up and having to pay attention to what's around you and where you're at and where you're going, like those are like lifelong things where it's like, I'm out in the middle of the mountains on a ride. I'm like, no, I know where I'm at. You know, like if something happens, I know that peak over there. And in between that is like where I need to be, you, you know yeah. what I mean? Or, and, um, yeah, it's, it's, they're definitely good lessons. Definitely good lessons. So, yeah, it's the best. And, you know, it's, it's, it's like the backyard's expanding with Milo now. And we'll sit there and when we go snowmobiling or splitboarding or something like that, I've showed, I've taught him, you know, okay, we're going to go here. We don't just go out and splitboard this. Like we need to study maps to understand where we're at what are the slope angles around us? What's the avalanche forecast say and mm -hmm. all that stuff. And then in the summer we do the same thing. We apply all those same tools. So we're like, okay, you, this is your kind of a route where you want to go. You know, what's your, what's your backup plan? If something happens, how do you get out of there? Where are mm -hmm. you? What else is around you? If you have more time, where would you explore to? And yeah. what's the weather going to do? And you know, what kit do you need to have for this ride? You know, if you're going to ride the super close trails, you need like this kit with, you know, yeah, minimum. And when you go out further, what do you need to add to the kit so that you're safe and prepared for stuff? And because at that yeah. point, you know, you need to understand if you're out there and something happens, it's minimum an hour for someone to come help you. So even, you know, who knows how, how much it gets into his head, but like thinking about what you ride from a risk management perspective, when you're an hour out there with another kid, is there cell reception, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's what are you gonna do if you don't have anything to drink? You know. Yeah. How much water yeah. do you need to bring for this ride, and how much food? Yeah, yeah. yeah one totally. of those diabetics, so they have to, you know, count for that too. And it's right such like it's dream life lessons to for him to be seeking out on his own. And I think it's good for them, though. I mean, like I was thinking about this the other day for some reason. Like even with my kids, when they got older, and there's a lot of other parents with technology today you can like track your kids and all this and that and i wouldn't do that and i would tell them like look i'm not doing this to you guys because i want you guys to have the op opportunity to like make the decision whether or not you're going to screw up yeah and maybe sometimes you get away with it but if you get caught then you're going to know like this is the situation right you know but like I feel like, you know, some of that is like, 
some of that getting away with shit is freaking part of growing up too, you know, like going out and maybe like your kids doing some jump that you've probably told them not to do, or like doing some extra loop that they know they shouldn't be going out that far. Like those are things that that's part of like growing up and, and having fun with like your life. Yes. And maybe, <laughs> yeah. You know? So, yeah. So you mentioned Burn Burn Peak. Um, I saw Seth posted something the other day. There's some new trails over there. You're gonna you're gonna head out for? Uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm heading out there actually for the grand opening of those in uh, later in June. I just booked my tickets, and so they opened the backcountry trails up higher. I, I really don't know much about them. I, although I did see Alex just put out a video on them. I haven't had a chance to watch yet. So my yeah, I haven't checked it out right either. Um, yeah, yeah, the yeah a whole upper section of backcountry trails and i remember they were talking about it so um definitely stoked to check out his video and see, see yeah, what yeah. before i go there and uh study up on those but they're supposed to be super fun how did your uh friendship with with seth happen so that happened when okay so bryce winker was the uh, diamondback marketing manager and team manager mm-hmm. and he was uh I don't know how, but like he was super into like he found Seth's channel and was like watching mountain bike YouTube when I mean, they gave he sent Seth a bike when I think he had 40, 30 or 40, 50,000 subscribers. So, yeah, kind of early days. And he was like, this guy is awesome. And he just loved what Seth was doing. And he's like, hey, can we send you a bike? And so they started sending him bikes and um, pretty quickly started to, you know, um, grow a relationship there between Seth and Diamondback. And then mm-hmm. we met uh, pretty quickly and um, we're instant. Like it was like stepbrothers. Like, did we just become best friends? <laughs> it was awesome. awesome. Like we just had uh, the best time together and we're right just on. laughing the whole time and same sense of humor, same, yeah, same work ethic, same like kind of worldview on stuff. And so, yeah, yeah. It was through Diamondback, but you know, immediately when we met, we were like instant friends and yeah. um, you know, talk every day. And uh, yeah, he's how long, how long have you been riding with Diamondback? I started with Diamondback in 2011, so this is wow. year 12 or 13. Yeah, that's crazy. Is, um, it is crazy. So, you know, more than half of my career now, and it's really kind of evolved over the years too and changed in different ways but a lot of the same people are still there and it's been awesome working with them yeah 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 um so at this point is like your youtube channel is pretty successful how many how many subscribers do you have uh we're over two hundred thousand now right so so pretty big audience there is like your youtube kind of income becoming like more equal to like your sponsorship kind of income or um is it like how's that work out yeah it's uh it is pretty close um i mean it's uh it's it's it ebbs and flows as you know yeah 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 uh based on you know how much i'm uploading how they're performing and you know how much how many advertisers and their ad rate and everything but um yeah, it's, it, it is doing really well and people are really psyched on what I'm doing. And, um, it has given me a bit more freedom too. to, um, not that I ever rode for anyone that I didn't want to ride for, but mm-hmm. even a bit more freedom with that, you know, to where yeah. 
I can kind of pick and choose who I really like working with and like their products and that sort of thing. So it's been really cool from that perspective. And, you know, Seth told me for years to get on YouTube before I did. Uh It was probably three years of him saying, you got to get on YouTube. What are you doing? You got to get on YouTube. And, you know, for me, it was, uh, things were working great without being on YouTube. And I mean, like using the traditional model that we had been doing as professional athletes. So, you know, you get budget for a trip and then you go do this really cool adventure and you got a filmer and a photographer, someone writes a story for it and you got magazine articles and kind of that traditional route. And then Mm -hmm. the video that, you know, someone else would film and edit, um, who's way better than me at it would, you know, then it would go on. I mean, there were like, you remember back then it was like, a, like everywhere was hosting stuff. So maybe it was on pink bikes player or vital MTV's player, or mm-hmm. maybe a company itself had its own video player and, uh, or maybe it was on Vimeo. And so it was just the, the revenue side of it wasn't a thing until, you know, it's kind of slowly started to be, but, it was basically um, making content that people could connect with and watch. And that was the bottom line. So if I did a bike packing trip somewhere and we made a cool video about it, you just wanted to get eyes on it and you wanted people to see it. And right. so I finally got on YouTube when um, it was the summer before COVID. And that was when it was really just, that's where people were watching their content. So I thought, you know, my job as an athlete is to kind of connect with consumers, basically. Like when you really brew it down to why bike companies are paying me as a rider, it's to right. connect with consumers and tell them right. my stories using their products and yeah. their products and cool scenarios and doing cool stuff and connect with them. Yeah. And so I finally realized that YouTube is where, you know, the majority of people are going to see their mountain bike content. Mm-hmm. And so... It's like, okay, I'm, let me learn how to do this. And did you look at it as like, like additional income or did you look at it as like, oh, I just got to do this because like that'll keep my sponsors happy. Or did you look at it as, man, I feel like, like this could become like the whole thing all the time. I had no, I, I didn't think that was what would happen. I knew there's potential because you see what Seth was doing and yeah. at that point in twenty. 18 or 19, it was, um, you know, he was, he was making a living off of it at that point and yeah. uh, getting huge views and that sort of thing. So I knew it was possible, but, um, you know, I also saw what Seth put into it, which was a thousand percent, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I, knew, yeah. I knew that the moment that I decided to do YouTube, that was going to take all of my time and energy if I wanted mm-hmm. to do it right. And I don't like doing stuff like you know, half, halfway. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, go on. And if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it right. So, mm-hmm. um, I started just by kind of learning the ropes and starting to make my own videos and they're still all on the channel. And, um, when I look, I was just looking back the other night and I'm like, man, I was terrible at talking on camera and like the, everything I, the quality of it. And, but I was learning the ropes and yeah learning how to do it. And I think it's cool to leave that stuff up there. I know that Seth, like he like curates his old videos, like takes down what he doesn't feel like is like on brand anymore and stuff like that. But uh, I feel like it's cool to have it there as like, this is the way it like, this is the way it happened. 
You know what yeah, I mean? And I actually, a couple nights ago, I had scrolled way down on uh, Mr. Beast page because I was like, I'd heard some story about when he counted 100,000 or something like that. Yeah. Like, How do you make a video out of that? I'm just curious. And yeah. so I scrolled way down all of his old, all that old stuff's yeah. on there. And it's uh, hilarious to see where he came from. And yeah. like, I didn't even watch it, but I think I saw it's like two hours and like it's hours long or something, or maybe two yeah. days. I don't even know, but like I'm just <laughs> one, two, three, four, I'm guessing. Yeah. Right. Right. Cause I was like, if it's a 10 minute video, I want to see how he told this story that he counted. Yeah. To was it a time yeah. lapse or um and then when i saw the watch time i'm like oh he just sat there and counted and ran the camera but anyway yeah but i mean he was putting his time in though you know what i mean yeah. and like he it's interesting you know I've, I've listened to a bunch of interviews with him and then i mean he just was convinced from like eight years old or whatever it was when he started that he was going to be a youtuber and everybody in his life was like um you have like no followers and <laughs> you've been doing this for like five years oh it's yeah, not yeah. Gonna happen, dude. Like years right <laughs> yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. and but, you know uh, it was the i was curious how it was going to go and you know some of the older videos were stuff that were you know produced through like with you know filmer and editor and everything and i was as a known pro mountain biker with a, a long career at the time, I was like, Oh, this should help. And it, I'm sure it helped because I, people knew the name when they saw it, but yeah, I got no views and it was, yeah. it was a long road for me as well. And everyone said that to me when he started, yeah. he said, he, he was like, dude, I thought I was going to get on YouTube and like <laughs> blow up. And he was like, it didn't matter that I was Jeff Lenoski. You know, like, he's like i could walk next to you at sea otter and they would be like hey there's robert you know like yeah. and you look yeah. at you know snowboarders and all these pro snowboarders like the biggest names the gnarliest riders ever and they've got you know really small youtube channels and it's a different thing and you have to learn the craft and it was the same thing when i you know was into riding I wanted to learn everything about it and i want to be the best i could when i was the best in my small area then i would get to you know move somewhere else or you know just continue like surround myself with people that were better than me at riding and yeah. that was how i got it to work and then you know same with slope style same with everything else so you know when it came to youtube i just study it constantly yeah. and every video i think how can i make the next one better and when i'm making the next one it's you know okay how, how can I make my sound better or my video or my story or whatever it is like, you know, even learning editing tricks. Cause you can only learn so much at once, but I try to learn at least a couple new things every single video. And yeah. I'm sure I heard one of the Mr. Beast things that you did too. But one of the things you said was, you know, make a hundred videos. They're all going to suck, but you'll think, you know, you'll think by the time you get to a hundred, you're making great videos and still sucks. And then, you know, make a hundred more and then they'll finally, you'll be getting somewhere and, you know, you know, except for some people that have, you know, production background and, yeah. you know, we've seen that with people that, you know, you know, I had a, a bit of a shortcut cause I was surrounded by people that were filming and I was part of productions to where I was, they'd make an edit and I'd look at it and kind of give some input yeah. and that sort of thing. So I was part of the process for a long time, but even or you would know like how they set their cameras or how they followed you when you were doing yeah. things or like, so you had at least like a, a baseline in that aspect where like 
me when I started, it was like I have zero idea except for like try to emulate what I see on TV or other channels, you know, yeah. like and it's super hard. And you uh, know, I just counted them up and I'm like 70 full length, you know, YouTube videos now or videos on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And uh, like that's insane to me too. That like the fact that I've filmed and edited 70 like 10 to 15 minute videos, that is yeah. That is so much work. <laughs> yeah. And um, and I still like I looked at, at videos, you know, two years ago. I'm like, the story was it was there um enough that they've like they're still getting good views. And you know, I've had studied enough of that, but technically me filming and editing, I was terrible. And yeah, I'm better now. And but then I compare it to other stuff and like you watch a Casey Neistat video or something, and you're like, I'm still horrible. And like very much in the beginning stages when I watch yeah. like that, you know, and yeah, so I just always yeah. try to think about how I can do, keep doing better. And, you know, it's, it's cool that it's bringing in revenue now and it's cool. That it's getting seen, but I think the coolest part and kind of what I said from the beginning was if nothing else, I'll learn how I've learned new skills of filming and editing. I'll have awesome videos that I made documenting my life riding and my life with my yeah. kids family and traveling and so you know it's cool when something goes off like the number one reason that it's cool when a video does well is that lots of people are seeing it and hearing my message which is my unique take on mountain biking on parenting on jumping yeah. and me saying what's important to me and people coming to see that and you know um because i just look at it i mean i'm kind of probably rambling but a lot of what a lot of what kept me off of YouTube initially was I came from this world of making actual like movies, DVDs, where it's a yeah. project and thought out and we're like crafting these video parts yeah. and all this stuff. And, um, and I think there were, there were a lot of really good YouTubers, but there were a lot of people that were just like standing there talking to the camera, no, like throughout their day, like vloggers, not even in mountain biking, but just, YouTube kind of had this name for, you know, um, it, it just wasn't what I wanted to do. And then I think yeah. it was Seth that was like, well, don't do that. Like do what you want to do and make what you want to make. And yeah. uh, I was like, Oh, right. I, I can just yeah. make whatever, I whatever I want. And, yeah, it yeah. and then it got really appealing because when we were making these big production ones, um, it was uh, not only does it like you do this trip that takes a while and then, you know, two months later, you get the like the first draft, and then the magazine article is coming out, and then when the you're trying to time the video to come out when the article does, and then you gotta like send emails to all the outlets so that they put it out the same time, and then like if Bike Mag accidentally puts it up before Vital, someone right, 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 and it was this whole deal. And Seth's like, and I'm like, how's it work for you? How do you put out your videos? He's like, oh, I click upload, and I'm like, yeah, that's it, and then people watch. He's like, yep. That's it. I mean, obviously, there's a little bit more than that, but um, I'm yeah, like, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I always say that my last video is my best video, and um, there there will be some that I make that I'll be like, dude, there's no way, like this is a masterpiece, and it'll be like, I'm always gonna love this video. And then if it, if you go back and watch it like six months later, you're like. Oh, I should have edited that. Oh, I should have done some color correcting. You're like, there's all these other things that you're like, 
you totally didn't even know that you weren't doing until right. now, you know? And, and, um, so yeah, I definitely, um, I enjoy the, the, uh, the, several different parts of it. You know, I, I enjoy the, the creativity part, I think is probably the number one thing for me. Like, I just like, like making things. Yeah. And I think that I, I definitely like enjoy the community and like, I don't know, the serotonin from something going off or people commenting and, you know, like I definitely get off on that. And, uh, but I think overall, it's just like that creating something and then also like documenting my life part, you know, where it's like at the very end of the day, regardless of how many people liked my video or how many people subscribed, like I could get hit by a bus tomorrow and my grandkids could still know who I am by like all these videos that my kids could show them. You, you know what I mean? Like, And I don't mean to sound negative about people that were just straight vlogging and holding a camera. No, 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 not Millions of views. So tons of people connect with that. I, what I mean is that that wasn't what I watched. That's yeah. what wasn't like how I enjoyed spending my time. So I couldn't relate to it. And that wasn't, yeah. wasn't for people, me. People and, used to tell me all the time that I should do YouTube. And um, in my mind, YouTube was for like cat videos. <laughs> so like, I would always be like, no, I don't want to go on YouTube. Why would I want to go on YouTube? And it, was it really was. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, um, it really wasn't until Brian started making videos and he was, I used to chat on this, this forum MTBR. Yeah. And um, he would, he was like posting his videos in there to like get people to go look at it. And uh, because he was from Northern California and I was always in that forum, I would click on his videos and I was like, this is pretty cool. You know, like, okay, maybe I'll check this out, you know, and here we are, right? So. Totally. Oh, I mean, I had to have a huge mindset shift too. Like when I stopped compete. So when I was competing in slope style, it was in the whole first part of my career, it was all you care about is what like bear claw or like the best rider in the world thinks about you. Like, am I, when I put out this video part, is he going to be stoked on it? Like are the other top yeah. riders because that's how it has to be if you're trying to push the sport and if you're trying to push the boundaries of riding and, and that's what I was doing. And then when I stopped competing, it was okay. I want to, um, that was when I switched to diamondback as well. And so I was like, okay, it's a great time for a fresh start. Here's what I want to do. I want to make videos and magazine articles like riding and camping in the woods and doing stuff that, um, regular people that ride bikes can relate to. Cause no yeah. one can relate to hitting huge jumps and you know, it's, it's kind of inspirational or aspirational. One of the two, um, but yeah. basically like, something like cool. that's crazy. Yeah. You're like, that's like, it's like X games or something. You're like, that's, yeah. but it doesn't necessarily make me want to go ride or make me want to go do a, you know, double backflip. But yeah. um, if I show a really cool adventure somewhere, like that's what I want to watch when I watch mountain biking. I want to yeah. see people out riding in the middle of nowhere, adventuring and exploring and doing cool stuff. And so that's kind of what I pitched. And, um, and so it was that mindset shift of um, who am I making videos and content and that sort of thing for and um, realizing kind of 
how I can help get people into mountain biking and grow the sport. It's by doing stuff that they can relate to and makes them want to go do that too. And mm-hmm. so when it kind of shifted that mindset of, I don't, I no longer care. Like you want their respect still from the top riders or other people, yeah. but you're not trying to like impress them anymore. Um, yeah. And you're trying to connect with other riders. It's a whole different way to think about it. And that's what I think is, never was possible before youtube is that uh if you wanted to be a pro rider if you wanted to be someone in you know on video or in bike industry or whatever you had to go win contests and you had to be the best rider in the world and then you could if you were smart and worked hard you could end up like being a film and shooting and videos and things like that um that was the only way in you had to go win races or win contests and that sort of thing yeah once YouTube happened that like you could just make cool content, cool videos that people like to watch and uh, people could connect with all kinds of different people. And so I think it really did help grow the sport and give anybody that mountain bikes, there's someone on YouTube that they can watch videos that they relate to. They're like, Oh, this person is like me, you know? Yeah. And so it's been really cool to see all these different riders start channels and make videos and like, and to learn from like, again, this was through mentorship from Seth, like when out before YouTube, you're almost like threatened when other riders are doing something cool. Cause you're like, Oh, I was going to go to that spot and make a video. And now I can't cause yeah. this magazine ran a place on it. So we can no longer go to this place. It's ruined. Yeah. You know, it's off the list. And um, Seth's like, no, everybody makes videos and like, just because I made a video on Bentonville doesn't mean that you can't make a video on Bentonville and yeah. some other people, because they're all going to be different perspectives. Yeah. Everybody's story is going to be different. Yeah. And people will, people will watch them all. People will be like, I want to go to Bentonville and they'll watch yeah. 10 videos on riding Bentonville. And yeah, uh, yeah. so like, it's so cool to be friends with everybody that, you know, I don't know everybody that makes mountain bike videos on YouTube, but um, yeah. it's with a lot of, the crew now and yeah yeah um and like i'm not threat like we're not threatened by each other and we all support yeah. each other and we get to do stuff together and it's and it's better for everybody it's awesome yeah what do you think about i mean now that you you've been a a, a pro like sponsored writer and and a content creator how do you think that companies should be handling their marketing money to like appropriately like kind of get their their word out that's a great question i think um they have the ability now to target specifically what their products or their bikes are for and work with people that kind of that that identify with that you know and the way that they couldn't before it was you had to run a like you're like say you're a you know making free ride stuff you'd run stuff on like pink bike and, and, you know, decline magazine before it went away or, you know, free hub now, um, or, Mm -hmm. or if you were like trail riding stuff, you know, you'd be like, okay, we're, you know, we're targeting like this person. So we got bike mag and we got like this website or whatever it is, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so now they can, I don't think a lot of them are taking advantage of it though. Honestly, I think, I think there's so many marketing managers in the bike industry that, um, I don't want to say it in a way like like to burn any bridges or anything, but yeah. just like, I don't know. Like there's just I see a lot of this um, 
they kind of came up in their specific racing only of racing or whatever and wanted yeah. to be a pro racer but didn't quite make it and then they're uh kind of stuck in that world and i, I think it's companies that are open to just working with different people for different purposes yeah. even and i think that the companies should be like I think that if they're sponsoring a racer, I think that they should have somebody on their team that is helping that racer do their social media so that the racer can work on being a racer. I think it's really unfair to ask somebody to be like a podium winning racer to have a successful YouTube channel and (laughs) Instagram and like, cause like, I know how much work it takes to run a YouTube channel. You know what I mean? And and it's a lot of freaking work. So if you wanted me to do all of that and like podium, like I feel like it's like one or the other. You know what I mean? So it's oh, like. It's hard to run a YouTube channel and also uh, keep up on Instagram and TikTok and everything yeah. else too. And all the other things. So it's, yeah, it is really hard. And um and I think it's awesome. Like they should support all the racers and, and everything yeah. else. Like there's room for everybody. And, yeah. um, but I think like, I don't know, say if a company is like, we're a race company, we're just focused on sponsoring racers. You're like, that's great. But do you think maybe that your, you know, target market at this point is a lot of people that get stuff on pro forms that work at shops? Yeah. Like, should you also like, I think there's a disconnect where they're where they think uh, where they're missing the the point that um, yeah. a lot of people that mountain bike still want maybe the best thing that is being made for racers, but that you can market to them in ways other than just racers too. So you yeah. have the racers to prove that it's the best out there, and then yeah. you can also have people in YouTube space yeah. that can uh, kind of relate that to normal terms of here's how I set this up as kind of a normal trail rider. Yeah. And it's still the best suspension out there or the best wheels out there or whatever it is. And so yeah. smart companies are starting to figure it out. Um, and yeah, it's really interesting to me, the difference between, you know, some of the companies that you can tell that really get it. And some that, that um, are, are more race focused, I guess you could say. Um, and to each their own, like, at the end of the day, like it's your company. You can do what the hell you want. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't, I don't really care. I just think that, um, I think if I was starting a brand, I would probably lean more into the social media side just because like the, the, like the connection that they have with their audience is so different, you know, but I understand that on the other hand, like, Racing, like, if, if you want to say that your, like, bike is a really good bike, like, a really great way to prove that is it to be winning races, you, you know, and to be, like, doing those, like, videos with sponsored riders like you that are, like, hey, here's that bike in the freaking Andes, like, going down some crazy shit, like, wow, you know, like, okay. So, I mean, it definitely has its place, but I, I feel like... um that social media side is like, you're really connecting to the average person on that, that aspect of like, like, let's just say some guy went out on a ride 
with his buddy and he's like i'm gonna get into mountain biking and he's got a family and he gets on youtube and he sees you and your whole family's like all riding bikes together and he's like oh wow a diamondback i could get a diamondback and like they got ones for my kid and they got ones for me and this guy's like going all over the world and doing it with with his whole family so they must be good like it, it, it just like really like equates over he wouldn't go watch like like Richie Rude just smash some some run and be like, you know what? I think I'm buying Yetis for the family. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah I think it, and I think um, you know the best marketing strategy is to have some of both. Um, so yeah, that you can, exactly. Yeah, prove it and relate. Have people relate to it. Um, yeah, <clears throat> but it's uh, yeah. I think I think community that is built around. Um, especially the long form YouTube videos is something pretty special. And, you know, with like people are seeing crazy numbers on TikTok now, and I'm not sure that it's building community around those creators necessarily. And um, I will say that I funnel things in and, you know, in some ways it for sure, it certainly is, but, um, and it's good because those crazy numbers it's reaching people that don't mountain bike too. And maybe yeah. that's a chance to show them that mountain biking is cool. So I'll say this, man. I noticed it's at Sedona this year was the first time that it really like hit me hard was all the guys that are doing guys and girls that are, are doing um, the short form kind of like reels and Instagram stuff. They were like, there was a, a lot of people walking up and walking by them and being like, Oh my God, it's normal. Or, Oh my God, it's uh, you know, whoever like, like they, they're definitely building some kind of community, you know, and those guys for sure. And I'm not like, I was saying that I'm not like, yeah. Seabass and Joe Colorado. Like, and like, totally. uh, And I was, I wasn't insinuating that you were saying that they weren't, but it was the first, like, because to me, yeah. the first, like, like when I was watching that that um, platform, let's just say that 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 way of of creating videos come up, to me, I just felt like it's like, oh, somebody watches it, they scroll by, they laugh, they scroll by. Like when I go on Instagram and I'm looking at reels, like very seldomly am I like, this is guys hilarious. I'm gonna like subscribe or like follow. You know what I mean? It's like you laugh, maybe hit the like button. And then you roll on by, you, you know what I mean? So like, it was real easy for me to think that this wasn't really building like a community, but whenever I was like standing there at Sedona and it's just like, boom, 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 like people are just walking by and it's like, wow, this is crazy. And then you start thinking about it though. And it's like, like their numbers are like, like Joe Colorado, like he has so many videos that have over a million views. You know what I mean? Like, if you had that many videos on YouTube with over a million views, you'd be like rolling around on a Lamborghini. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, but yeah. like, but, and, and okay. So maybe financially it's not hitting that way, but it is definitely giving them some exposure. It's, it's very interesting to see this like new way, you know? Yeah. I think it's, uh, and I think why it's connecting with those guys is they're really consistent and they're, I mean, their quality and their uh, cadence of posting and that sort of thing. Yeah. And it's it's a FaceTime thing. So they're actually 
you're seeing the person and they're making you laugh. And so you are connecting with them. And yeah, yeah. if you're seeing like writing clip, it's, and like you said, you just, you'll see 10 reels in a minute or whatever. Like you yeah. just swipe and swipe and swipe. And the difference with the long form is like people are signing up for a 10 minute ride and yeah. storytelling. And so that's where I think it, that's done traditionally such a good way of connecting people with the people they like to watch and why it builds that community. And yeah. I think the way that they're doing theirs, which I don't know how to do that. Um, yeah. And their, their comedic timing and writing yeah. and how they do all that is incredible. But um, I think that's why that's um, connecting more and you're seeing so many, like, yeah, what they're doing is awesome. And I'm, cu I'm curious to see like how that platform changes over time. You know, like YouTube's changed a bunch. Like there was a time when like, if you were doing YouTube bike videos, like they had to be like three minutes long, you know what I mean? And like, then it was like, you know, maybe 15 minutes. Now there's some people that do like 30 minute videos and some people that do eight minute videos, you know, it's like, it's kind of like all over the place. And, um, you know, there's like, I think feel like it's like kind of gotten like compartmentalized like there's like like yum yum is a very successful channel that is like all reviews you know and and i think i'm curious to see like right now it feels to me that the short content like has to be funny you, you know that's really what like the the standard is at least right now and i'm curious to see like does that platform like change into other things like how to's or different things like that, where, where it's like educational or, or something like other than funny. Uh, yeah. I'm just curious. Like, I don't know. Like, it's just, I, I think like, like logically it's going to change in waves. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm trying to figure it out as well. Um, yeah, yeah. Cause I, I wish I could just make long form YouTube videos and only do that. I, I would love, yeah. that. I love the, I love filming, getting the clips, putting everything together and, and then I hate the first part of editing where you like watch all the clips and keyword and yeah. I absolutely hate that part. And then when it starts to come together, I love it again. And the last, you know, the final hours of an edit where you're like, ditch this, cut that, don't need it. And you're like tightening this thing up into this. Yeah. That's really exciting. And I get super fired up doing that. And then like having this finished product that I'm really oh. proud of. I love that. And the anticipation of like my video is done and I have to wait to like, tomorrow morning to hit go is like it's really tough you know it's like oh man i just want to let it go right now i don't care if it's two o'clock in the morning you know like, totally yeah and then with the short form stuff um i'm trying to learn how to do that as well and yeah i've had i've had a handful go really big and um on one platform or another um go over like several hundred thousand or million and um and i haven't done anything funny <laughs> specifically yeah. Um, but it's all, um, it's all been stuff that I've put together from long form videos to where I take, yeah. you know, on one, like for a couple of videos, I cut it into like a series cause there were like TikToks, like where it was like episode one or like whatever they call it. Um, you know, to where it would be like a, a five part series and people, yeah, are, yeah. So I tried that. Some of those did well. And now I've started trying like, okay, why don't I just make the whole storyline into a minute and make it, yeah. uh, or whatever it is. And some of those I, have done well and then others haven't. So like, I really haven't figured out like the one thing I'm like, Oh, this is like, yeah. this is totally working. And yeah, I've been playing around with it. I think just from like a, uh, like 
purely like just I, I like creating things kind of thing you know like there's been a couple of rides where i like hey i'm gonna wear my my full face on this one ride just so that i can have a chin mount and i'm purely like recording when i gopro at vertical and i'm only gonna like turn this ride into like a clip you, you right. know and as like th there's that and then there's other ones where i'm like oh i've kind of thought the story out that i kind of want to tell and it's interesting to like in some ways it makes it feel like i'm editing a a, a regular story because i kind of go through this whole pr like similar process but at the end of it like it only took me an hour to do like to edit it instead of like three days you know yeah. <laughs> which I is kind of cool yeah i think um i like having that room to breathe on youtube to tell the longer story and so that's where i'm struggling with like well what really matters and how do i tell that because you still need like a beginning middle and end and you still have to have that with a short form like have the hook and then the the meat of it and then the kind of nice ending or whatever to sum it up and yeah so I'm, I struggled to figure out how to do that the best that I can. And I hold myself to like, I, as, like I said, as I up the level, then I hold myself to that level. And even on um, Instagram and TikTok or whatever, I still like, I'm scared to post something that I don't feel is good enough. Um, but then sometimes with the short form stuff, I'm like, I'm probably putting way too much into this and I could just yeah. say something stupid and like have a riding clip and people would love that. And so yeah. like, well, what is it that I want to put out into the world? And yeah, I'm a classic overthinker. So I'm, I'm yeah. always going around, running around in circles in my head, trying to figure out what to do. But I've, you know. I've noticed that like sometimes when I'm filming um, some other stuff, like for a long form, I'll think about like how I have the shot lined up so that like, if I wanted to change, like use part of this as a, a short, like, okay. I have me in the middle of the frame and not like, you know what I mean? Or like something oh, yeah. like that. I definitely, like... I definitely changed my framing now. Almost mm -hmm. every shot I'm shooting, I'm going to shoot everything in 4k. So I have some room anyway. Um, yeah. But uh, even for all my long form videos, I've started thinking about that now. Like, okay, is this, is this shot um, like the shot I want for horizontal for the long form? Yeah. Is it framed in a way that I'll be able to, cut this into a you know vertical yeah so, like I'm, I'm thinking about it more now because like it or not it's a part of the ecosystem and yeah yeah uh, it's a again it's just it's a way to connect with people and like uh for whatever i'm like the whole thing i'm doing this to share my views on mountain biking and my experiences with the world and yeah. if you're not if, if people aren't watching, then they're not getting to see that. So again, like that's, you know, outside of everything else, you know, monetarily it's um, yeah. your message isn't getting out there. And so that's where I'm always trying to think, here's what I want to say. Now, how can I say it in a way that works with the way things are set up and, and is the way that I'm, and, and I'm proud of it at the end. And I feel yeah. good about putting it to the world. Um, what, what do you think, what do you think it is that made your channel get, 200,000 subscribers like was there a point where you were like oh I think I got this figured out and that's kind of like you just start replicating that or what what do you think it is that that why do you think people hit subscribe on your channel I think they've 
I think they feel good after they watch the videos. I think mm -hmm. um, that's the biggest thing is that they're going to learn something about mountain biking. They probably didn't know before, but they're not how to videos. Um, mm -hmm. And they're going to, they're going to feel good at the end. They're going to, you know, come along for a cool adventure. They're going to build something in the yard with me. Like I always um, try to be kind of include the viewer, like they're part mm -hmm. of it. And I want them to feel like they're actually there hanging out with us when we're doing whatever yeah. we're doing. And so they're going to feel like they saw something cool, did something cool, learned, kind of felt those emotions. And I, I really try to, I spend way too much time on the music to kind of get the feel that I want. And, yeah. Um, and people so, don't understand how long it takes to pick music. <laughs> it sounds ridiculous, but oh my God, I can't tell you how many times I've spent, like I just spent an hour on freaking epidemic trying to find the right song. <laughs> you know, uh, on my channel is uh, a minimum of two hours searching for music till I find yeah. the right one. And, you know, I'll yeah. download maybe 15 that are maybes and then, yeah, find the right feel for there, throw it in the timeline and start to work with it. And like, Oh, yeah. that's not right. And ditch it. And it, it means a lot to me. And yeah. obviously it means a lot to you too. It doesn't yeah. to everybody and that's fine too. But um, I love it when it like accidentally lines up like perfectly with your edit. Like oh. you drop some clip in there and you're just like, like, like you're, you're finishing like this, this thought process. And it just so happens to be that that's like the end of the song too. And you're like, oh my god! You didn't have to like, like just like, like volume pan it out to make it sound like it was the end. You know, yep. it's like just perfect. Oh man, it's like I don't know how else to explain it. It's like just like it's, it's one like of the most satisfying things in the world for sure. Yeah, yeah, it totally is. Even like I spend way too much time like cutting clips in a montage or things to you know to line up on the beat or yeah, even like, I do that. Yeah. Um, or have someone land on the beat and yeah. um, because I care, like, yeah. I don't know. It's, I, I really think that's the stuff that the people who know, they know that you'll see it and you're like, nice. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, but for me, when I'm making the video, I'm like, yes, that like when you're up like 2am and yeah. you got a whole thing and you're like, everything just, it feels right. But yeah. I think I put so much time into the stuff on the back end of editing these videos that, you know, most people will never notice, but the video will feel right. And, that's yeah, and that, that's, that's the thing is like, it, it, it's good if they don't notice, you, oh. you know what I mean? Like that you don't want them to notice. Like at the end of the day, you want them to just be like, that was rat. I don't yeah. know why I like it. You know? yeah. And so that's, I think that's why people connected. And, you know, the first one that I started when, when the pandemic happened, I started just rebuilding my jumps. Um, like I was just, I'm like, okay, we, I can't work with a filmer anymore. I can't work with the uh, editor, any of this other stuff. What do I got? We're here in the yard. Everyone's locked down. I'm going to just, my yard's a mess right now after the winter. I'm going to rebuild the pump track and then I'm going to rebuild the, these jumps one at a time. And yeah. uh, so people started to follow along then. And then mm -hmm. when we built the roll in for Milo's jump, um, I made a whole video on just building the Roland. So I was up there with my kids and I was teaching them carpentry skills and making dad jokes. And, yeah. um, how does your family feel being part of the channel? Uh, they have a good time with that. I keep it low pressure for them though, too. So, um, I mean, but when you go on a trip, like you went to down to South America recently, it's like, 
or like the the thing that you guys did up in the backcountry is i mean I, I know from somebody that's filming like what kind of effort that takes to like get the shots that you're getting yeah it, it, so i mean it, it's like hey that looks cool that you guys are all eating dinner, but somebody was standing there holding the camera, you know? Yeah, totally. And so I think about that a lot too. And um, so that we, you know, we talk about it ahead of time. Um, uh -huh. This is what we're going to do. And of course this has been my job since they were born. So yeah, they've grown up around cameras being around and people doing like filming me. And yeah. um, now they get to see the finished product and they, they, they laugh, you know, watching it and mm -hmm. they enjoy watching the videos, um, which is cool. So like I'll come home sometime and they'll be, you know, watching a few of them in a row and like looking at when they were younger and they, they see yeah. how cool it is. And yeah. um, Owen likes being on camera more than Milo as yeah. you know, like anyone that watches a lot can tell. Um, uh -huh. And he's, he is like a little showman and yeah. He, he eats it up, you know, <laughs> and uh, Milo just, he would rather have his riding do the talking, but also likes like he's fine talking on camera too. And yeah, so they understand when we go on a trip that um, part of the time, you know, we, we went for three weeks to Ecuador and mm -hmm. so we didn't film the whole time. We had time to just ride yeah. spots and we had, we went to Galapagos too and didn't make a video there. And um, yeah, that's important. Yeah. So I, I really try to balance it out so that, most of their lives they're not filming and yeah. you know I, I see these you know family channels on youtube and i'm like i don't know how they do that and stay sane and have a healthy relationship with each other because yeah. you know like i put videos out every two to three weeks and a lot of them the kids are in but a lot of them yeah. they're not too like i'll say hey you want to do this? And uh, if they're like, yeah, that sounds awesome. They're like, cool. And so if we're going to do that, then I need you to be on board with this and we're going to go do stuff. And um, yeah. still, you know, like if you watch the time lapses when we're building stuff, they're in and out and I'm, I'm there the whole time slapping dirt yeah. or whatever. Um, but I try to, I try to keep the experience first. And so that's where like the only like Ecuador, my friend uh, Juan, uh, he's a filmer and has a production company in Ecuador. So um, I hired him to film that trip because I knew that if he was there to document, then we could focus more on the experience. And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So it would make it just work better. And same thing with the uh, the yurt trip um, yeah. skiing and snowboarding. I was my friend Justin. He came along and shot that because I was like, "There's, I would I could do it myself, but it would be more stressful on me." Um, I'd be in charge. That's of like my dream, man. Is get to the point where I can have somebody else helping film. You I would, know, just yeah. <laughs> I, I go back and forth because I'm like I'm not there yet to be able to afford to hire someone yeah. for all the videos. Um, and uh, funny enough, those the, the Ecuador and the Yurt videos didn't perform as well as like so most of the other ones that I filmed myself. So I'm like, I don't even know what the answer is here. Like <laughs> someone. And you're like, there's something about it that maybe it was the time of year when they came out or whatever. They still did fine, but they yeah. didn't go off like uh, some of the other ones. And so I don't know what the answer is there, but um, e either way, yeah. it, it is nice having a filmer. Um, and then I still yeah. edited all those myself because I thought about having them edit them, but I was like, they don't know what's in my head. I don't exactly know what yeah. this 
look like when it comes out either. And yeah, yeah. Um, I think yeah, I would- no, it's tough. It's definitely tough. It's it's tough to like. It, I think I guess it depends on like how you create. You know, some guys do like storyboards and they like think out their whole thing beforehand. They have like a script written already, and like other guys film it and see what happens. And then there's like you know everything in between. So, um, yeah, yeah. It, 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 it could be one of those things that I, I would look forward to, but I actually don't know if that's what I want. It just sounds appealing that I wouldn't have to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's what it is. I'm like, well, editing takes forever. And then filming is uh, like having to come up with the story and all the shots that I need to tell that. And it's a lot mentally as well. So the whole process is like yeah. mentally taxing, you know, to come up with something good. Sometimes it just flows. Um, yeah. I'm trying to spend some time right now to kind of uh, have more of a summer plan and a bunch of ideas and kind of form those a bit more so I can hopefully cut down on overshooting and cut down on editing time. So I'm yeah. trying to do the process better as well. Um, but I, you know, in the end, when I do finish a video that I made totally myself, like it feels really good and I do yeah. enjoy that. So I think yeah. that is, you know, um, cool to keep that and it's not it's not scalable like you can't i can't all of a sudden do i can't do what i'm doing and and make a video a week like a full-length video um because then i would give up all of my time not filming with the family and um and i really you know all of that always comes first is just the relationships with the kids and having fun with them and, and riding without the camera and um so it's a tough balance because especially being that if I put out high quality videos every week, um, there's a pretty good chance that I would financially do quite a bit better. Um, but I'm not willing to make that sacrifice at this point in my life with how old the kids are and how, yeah, I mean, money's not everything, man, (laughs) how much like each other and have fun doing this. And like, uh, I'd hate to burn out on it. So I'm, you know, trying to find that balance of, I'd like to settle into, like, I'd like to settle into, I was doing every two weeks and I was like, I was on it for a while. And, yeah. and um, I just, I wanted more time to be able to do what I wanted to. And it's not be like constantly like 24 hours a day charging yeah. into the next thing. Um, and so then sometimes it would end up going a bit too long. And then you run into the, like you finish a video and you're like, oh, I'll take it, you know, a week to catch up on business stuff and life stuff and house projects. And then that turns into. Yeah. Sometimes you blink your eyes and you're like looking at your last one. You're like, Holy shit. That was a month ago. (laughs) Like, Oh my God. I didn't even know that happened, you know? But like, I think at the end of the day, um, just do it. Just do what feels right. You you know what I mean? And I think that everybody has their own thing. And, um, for me, like I, I like ebb and flow with it. Sometimes I'm like all over it, and sometimes I'm I'm not doing it all the time. So, yeah. I mean, granted, this isn't my full time job. So, I mean, that would probably be different if if I was like really like needing the income for for that. But um, at the end of the day, I mean, it wouldn't it would be rad if if I would be able to come out here and like 
fly people down to my studio to do the podcast every week. And that was my job, you know? Yeah. So yeah. like, how do you get there? You have to like, you have to put the work in, you know? Yeah, totally. So. Yeah. And it's um, like, I wouldn't say I have balance figured out at all. Um, yeah. The way that I balance things is I take on all this stuff and then, you know, I just, and then I alter things as they need to and move things around to like, Oh, kids got something, you know, like I, we moved stuff around today for the timing on this. Cause I had a Nika ride leader training uh, yeah. six to eight. So I had to go, you know, the, we're about to start the, the Nika coaching season. And I'm like, like, if you looked at my schedule, like that's not a good idea to commit, you know, <laughs> the hours, two days a week or maybe more. Um, yeah. 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 But no, like this is a cool way to like go out with Milo's on the team and then pass on all the stuff I know to all the other middle school kids that are getting into it. And so I'm like, that's, that's really cool. And like the time, all, all of this stuff, I kind of, I don't know, like I go back and forth where I'm like, I need to go a hundred percent in and uh, make a bit like an awesome video every week. But then I'm like, that would, that means saying no to doing all the other stuff. Yeah. And I guess that's what I juggle with. You know, it's like, if I really wanted to like push super hard on the podcast, for example, um, like I'd be making clips and like all kinds of different stuff. Right. And I could be, I could be doing this three, four nights a week. You, You know what I mean? Like, I like, I could really like do that. But on the other hand, then like the amount of time that I get to ride, is not going to happen or the amount of time that I get to make the other videos that I like to do. Like that's not going to happen. Like you, you definitely have to like, or like spending time with my wife or like, you, you know what I mean? Like yeah, all, all the other stuff, you know, it's like, or like going to dinner with some friends, you know, like those are all things that you'd have to give up. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's, it's a juggling act, man. It is tough. You know, I, I um I definitely appreciate you carving out some time for me though today. I mean, we were just chatting at Sea Otter a couple of weeks ago and thought it would be fun to get get on and talk. And I mean, here we are two hours later. And I I, I know it's late your time. I, I really do appreciate you uh sitting down and chatting with me and the rest of the uh the subscribers and followers over here on the biker bar. No, this is super fun. I love doing it. And uh it's one of those things that's like it's hard to schedule or playing around because they're like, oh, I really need to be doing this or that. But then um, I'm like, I know I have a good time hanging out and talking with you. And yeah. so I, I love doing it. And Right on, man. Yeah, dude. Was, um, yeah. I, I uh, When we were chatting at, at Seattle, I was like, dude, we need to talk. I, I noticed like when I was uh, setting this one up, the last episode you were on was like 83 or 86. I'm at 151 now. That's crazy. crazy. That's awesome. <laughs> That's so crazy. Yeah. It yeah. worked good conversations though, too. And um yeah, it's pretty awesome for sure. And yeah. Yeah, it's well, like man. this is it's always that's kind of my solution is uh um you you have time at night because there's yeah. no deadline, you just pay for it with uh <laughs> lack of sleep, but yeah, you can get stuff done and you can hang, you know. This has been super fun talking. Yeah, yeah, it's a good time. Fortunately, I'm a guy that doesn't need a lot of sleep, so <laughs> I'm the same way. I never understood it. And then uh, I started like learning about it a little bit more. And uh, um, like, I'm just a good sleeper. Oh, that's what I, that's what I've been telling myself. <laughs> well, I got, like, I did, I had no idea. I got one of the aura rings so I could uh-huh. like, track my sleep and really understood it, stand it. And the amount of time 
like in like your deep sleep and REM sleep and uh, light sleep and like your sleep efficiency basically and getting the amount, the right amount of cycles. Yeah. I'm hitting that with like, you know, six, seven hours that yeah. people get with like eight or nine or 10 hours because they're not sleeping as well. Um, yeah. So maybe it's because I'm too tired, but uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's now, now I just have data to be able to justify not sleeping. Yeah. Enough. Yeah. That's basically <laughs> what you're doing. I like how I like, I like what you're doing though. I, I basically have gone down the same rabbit hole. So nonetheless, well, it's like a, yeah, it's like an alcoholic. That's like, uh, Oh, but it's all right because I didn't get fired from my job, and like I still got family and kids, and I can I can do yeah. everything and drink as much as I want, so it's cool. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, like I said, man, definitely appreciate you you hanging out. Those of you that aren't familiar with his channel, I don't know how you couldn't be, but Eric Porter MTB on YouTube. He's got the Instagram, the Facebook, the Twitter, the TikTok, all those other things. You can go find him out there. Definitely give him a follow. There's a link in the uh, show more of YouTube to get over to his channel as well as the show notes of the podcast. So do me that favor and uh, check him out. And while you're over there, swing by mine if you haven't already and give me a, a like and a follow at those places as well. That'd be super rad. Definitely appreciate all you patrons out there that are listening. Thank you so much. You honestly keep this thing going. Anybody wants to buy me a beer, swing by Patreon. It'd be rad. Outside of that, there's one thing that you all need to remember. It only takes a bike to be a biker. Get out and be one.